Chapter One of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume Four by Eugène Sue. Chapter One, Part One. Rigolette's First Sorrow. Rigolette's apartment was still in all its extreme nicety the large silver watch placed over the mantelpiece in a small boxwood stand denoted the hour of four the severe cold weather having ceased the thrifty little needlewoman had not lighted her stove from the window a corner of blue sky was scarcely perceptible over the masses of irregularly built roofs garrets and tall chimneys which bounded the horizon on the other side of the street suddenly a sunbeam which as it were wandered for a moment between two high gables came for an instant to purple with its bright rays the windows of the young girl's chamber rigolette was at work seated by her window and the soft shadow of her charming profile stood out from the transparent light of the glass as a cameo of rosy whiteness on a silver ground brilliant hues played on her jet-black hair twisted in a knot at the back of her head and shaded with a warm amber colour the ivory of her industrious little fingers which plied the needle with incomparable activity the long folds of her brown gown confined at the waist by the bands of her green apron half concealed her straw-seated chair and her pretty feet rested on the edge of a stool before her like a rich lord who sometimes amuses himself in hiding the walls of a cottage beneath splendid hangings the setting sun for a moment lighted up this little chamber with a thousand dazzling fires throwing his golden tints on the curtains of grey and green stuff and making the walnut-tree furniture glisten with brightness and the dry rubbed floor looked like heated copper whilst it encircled in a wire-work of gold the grisette's bird-cage but alas in spite of the exciting splendour of this sun-ray the two canaries male and female flitted about uneasily and contrary to their usual habit did not sing a note this was because contrary to her usual habit rigolette did not sing the three never warbled without one another almost invariably the cheerful and matin song of the latter called forth that of the birds who more lazy did not leave their nests as early as their mistress then there were rivalries contentions of clear sonorous pearly silvery notes in which the birds had not always the advantage rigolette did not sing because for the first time in her life she experienced a sorrow up to this time the sight of the misery of the morels had often affected her but such sights are too familiar to the poorer classes to cause them any very lasting melancholy after having almost every day succored these unfortunates as far as was in her power sincerely wept with and for them the young girl felt herself at the same time moved and satisfied moved by their misfortunes and satisfied at having shown herself pitiful but this was not a sorrow rigolette's natural gaiety soon regained its empire and then without egotism but by a simple fact of comparison she found herself so happy in her little chamber after leaving the horrible den of the morels that her momentary sadness speedily disappeared this lightness of impression was so little affected by personal feeling that by a mode of extremely delicate reasoning the grisette considered it almost a duty to aid those more unhappy than herself that she might thus unscrupulously enjoy an existence so very precarious and entirely dependent on her labour but which compared with the fearful distress of the lapidary's family appeared to her almost luxurious in order to sing without compunction when we have near us persons so much to be pitied she said naively 
we must have been as charitable to them as possible before we inform our reader the cause of rigolette's first sorrow we are desirous to assure him or her completely as to the virtue of this young girl we are sorry to use the word virtue a serious pompous solemn word which almost always brings with it ideas of painful sacrifice of painful struggle against the passions of austere meditations on the final close of all things here below such was not the virtue of rigolette she had neither deeply struggled nor meditated she had worked and laughed and sung her prudence as she called it when speaking frankly and sincerely to rodolph was with her a question of time she had not the leisure to be in love particularly lively industrious and orderly order work and gaiety had often unknown to herself defended sustained saved her it may be deemed perchance that this morality is light frivolous casual but of what consequence is the cause so that the effect endures of what consequence are the directions of the roots of a plant provided the flower blooms pure expanded and full of perfume apropos of our utopianisms as to the encouragement help and recompenses which society ought to grant to artisans remarkable for their eminent social qualities we have alluded to that protection of virtue one of the projects of the emperor by the way let us suppose this admirable idea realized one of the real philanthropists whom the emperor proposed to employ in searching after worth had discovered rigolette abandoned without advice without aid exposed to all the perils of poverty to all the seductions with which youth and beauty are surrounded this charming girl has remained pure her honest hard-working life might serve for a model and example would not this young creature deserve not a mere recompense not succour only but some impressive words of approbation and encouragement which would give her a consciousness of her own worth exalt her in her own eyes and lay on her obligations for the future at least she would know that she was followed by eyes full of solicitude and protection in the difficult path in which she is progressing with so much courage and serenity she would know that if one day the want of work or sickness threatened to destroy the equilibrium of the poor and occupied life which depends solely on work and health a slight help due to her former deserts would be given to her people no doubt will exclaim against the impossibility of this tutelary surveillance which would surround persons particularly worthy of interest through their previous excellent lives it seems to us that society has already resolved this problem has it not already imagined the superintendence of the police for a life or for a period for the most useful purpose of constantly controlling the conduct of dangerous persons noted for the infamy of their former lives why does not society exercise also a superintendence of moral charity but let us leave the lofty stilts of our utopianisms and return to the cause of rigolette's first sorrow with the exception of germain a well-behaved open-hearted young man the grisette's neighbours had all at first begun on terms of familiarity believing her offers of good neighbourship were little flirtations but these gentlemen had been compelled to admit with as much astonishment as annoyance that they found in rigolette an amiable and mirthful companion for their sunday excursions a pleasant neighbour and a kind-hearted creature but not a mistress their surprise and their annoyance at first very great gradually gave way before the frank and even temper of the grisette and then as she had sagaciously said to rodolph her neighbours were proud on sundays to have on their arms a pretty girl who was an honour to them in every way rigolette was quite regardless of appearances 
and who only cost them the share of the moderate pleasures whose value was doubled by her presence and nice appearance besides the dear girl was so easily contented in her days of penury she dined well and gaily off a morsel of warm cake which she nibbled with all the might of her little white teeth after which she amused herself so much with a walk on the boulevard or in the arcades if our readers feel but little sympathy with rigolette they will at least confess that a person must be very absurd or very cruel to refuse once a week these simple amusements to so delightful a creature who besides having no right to be jealous never prevented her cavaliers from consoling themselves for her cruelty by flirtations with other damsels François Germain alone never founded any vain hopes on the familiarity of the young girl, but, either from instinct of heart or delicacy of mind, he guessed from the first day how very agreeable the singular companionship of Rigolette might be made. What might be imagined happened, and Germain fell passionately in love with his neighbour, without daring to say a word to her of his love. Far from imitating his predecessors, who, convinced of the vanity of their pursuit, had consoled themselves with other loves without being on that account the less on good terms with their neighbour germain had most supremely enjoyed his intimacy with the young girl passing with her not only his sunday but every evening when he was not engaged during these long hours rigolette was as usual merry and laughing germain tender attentive serious and often somewhat sad this sadness was his only drawback for his manners naturally good were not to be compared with the foppery of m girandeau the commercial traveller alias bagman or with the noisy eccentricities of cabrion but m girandeau by his unending loquacity and the painter by his equally interminable fun took the lead of germain whose quiet composure rather astonished his little neighbour the grisette rigolette then had not as yet testified any decided preference for any one of her beaux but as she was by no means deficient in judgment she soon discovered that germain alone united all the qualities requisite for making a reasonable woman happy having stated all these facts we will inquire why rigolette was sad and why neither she nor her bird sang her oval and fresh-looking face was rather pale her large black eyes usually gay and brilliant were slightly dulled and veiled whilst her whole look bespoke unusual fatigue she had been working nearly all the night from time to time she looked sorrowfully at a letter which lay open on a table near her this letter had been addressed to her by germain and contained as follows prison of the conciergerie mademoiselle the place from which i address you will sufficiently prove to you the extent of my misfortune i am locked up as a robber i am guilty in the eyes of all the world and yet i am bold enough to write to you it is because it would indeed be dreadful to me to believe that you consider me as a degraded criminal i beseech you not to condemn me until you have perused this letter if you discard me that will be the final blow and it will indeed overwhelm me i will tell you all that has passed for some time i had left the rue du temple but i knew through poor louise that the morel family in whom you and i took such deep interest were daily more and more wretched alas my pity for these poor people has been my destruction i do not repent it but my fate is very cruel last night i had stayed very late at m ferrand's occupied with business of importance in the room in which i was at work was a bureau in which my employer shut up every day the work i had done this evening he appeared much disturbed and troubled and said to me do not leave until these accounts are finished and then put them in the bureau the key of which i will leave with you 
and then he left the room when my work was done i opened the drawer to put it away when mechanically my eyes were attracted by an open letter on which i read the name of jerome morel the lapidary i confess that seeing that it referred to this unfortunate man i had the indiscretion to read this letter and i learnt that the artisan was to be arrested next day on an overdue bill of thirteen hundred francs at the suit of m ferrand who under an assumed name had imprisoned him this information was from an agent employed by m ferrand i knew enough of the situation of the morel family to be aware of the terrible blow which the imprisonment of their only support must inflict upon them and i was equally distressed and indignant unfortunately i saw in the same drawer an open box with two thousand francs in gold in it at this moment i heard louise coming up the stairs and without reflecting on the seriousness of my offence but profiting by the opportunity which chance offered i took thirteen hundred francs went to her in the passage and put the money in her hand saying they are going to arrest your father to-morrow at daybreak for thirteen hundred francs here they are save him but do not say that the money comes from me Monsieur ferrand is a bad man you see mademoiselle my intention was good but my conduct culpable i conceal nothing from you but this is my excuse by dint of saving for a long time i had realized and placed with a banker the sum of fifteen hundred francs but the cashier of the banker never came to the office before noon morel was to be arrested at daybreak and therefore it was necessary that she should have the money so as to pay it in good time if not even i could have gone in the day to release him from prison still he would be arrested and carried off in presence of his wife whom such a blow must have killed besides the heavy costs of the writ would have been added to the expenses of the lapidary you will understand i dare say that all these new misfortunes would not have befallen me if i had been able to restore the thirteen hundred francs i had taken back again to the bureau before m ferrand discovered anything unfortunately i fell into that mistake i left m ferrand's and was no longer under the impression of indignation and pity which had impelled me to the step i began to reflect upon all the dangers of my position a thousand fears then came to assail me i knew the notary's severity and he might come after i left and search in his bureau and discover the theft for in his eyes in the eyes of the world it is a theft these thoughts overwhelmed me and late as it was i ran to the bankers to supplicate him to give me my money instantly i should have found an excuse for this urgent request and then i should have returned to m ferrand and replaced the money i had taken by unlucky chance the banker had gone to belleville for two days to his country house where he was engaged in some plantations everything seemed to conspire against me i waited for daybreak with intense anxiety and hastened to belleville the banker had just left for paris i returned saw him obtained my money hastened to m ferrand everything was discovered but this is only a portion of my misfortunes the notary at once accused me of having robbed him of fifteen thousand francs in banknotes which he declared were in the drawer of the bureau with the two thousand francs in gold this was a base accusation an infamous lie i confess myself guilty of the first abstraction but by all that is most sacred in the world i swear to you mademoiselle that i am innocent of the second i never saw a banknote in the drawer there were only two thousand francs in gold from which i took the thirteen hundred francs i have mentioned this is the truth mademoiselle i am under this terrible accusation and yet i affirm that you ought to know me incapable of a lie but will you do you believe me 
alas as m ferrand said he who has taken a small sum may equally have taken a large amount and his word does not deserve belief i have always seen you so good and devoted to the unhappy mademoiselle and i know you are so frank and liberal-minded that your heart will guide you in the just appreciation of the truth i hope i do not ask any more give credit to my words and you will find in me as much to pity as to blame for i repeat to you my intention was good and circumstances impossible to foresee have destroyed me oh mademoiselle rigolette i am very unhappy if you knew in the midst of what a set of persons i am doomed to exist until my trial is over yesterday they took me to a place which they call the depot of the prefecture of police i cannot tell you what i felt when after having gone up a dark staircase i reached a door with an iron wicket which was opened and soon closed upon me i was so troubled in my mind that i could not at first distinguish anything a hot and fetid air came upon me and i heard a loud noise of voices mingled with sinister laughs angry exclamations and depraved songs i remained motionless at the door for a while looking at the stone flooring of the apartment and neither daring to advance nor lift up my eyes thinking that everybody was looking at me they were not however thinking of me for a prisoner more or less does not at all disturb these men at last i ventured to look up and oh what horrid countenances what ragged wretches what dirty and bespattered garments all the exterior marks of misery and vice there were forty or fifty seated standing or lying on benches secured to the wall vagrants robbers assassins and all who had been apprehended during the night and day when they perceived me i found a sad consolation in seeing that they did not recognize me as belonging or known to them some of them looked at me with an insulting and derisive air and then began to talk amongst themselves in a low tone and in some horrible jargon not one word of which did i understand after a short time one of the most brutal amongst them came and slapping me on the shoulder asked me for some money to pay my footing i gave them some silver hoping thus to purchase repose but it was not enough and they demanded more which i refused then several of them surrounded me and assailed me with threats and imprecations and were proceeding to extremities when fortunately for me a turnkey entered who had been attracted by the noise i complained to him and he insisted on their restoring to me the money i had given them already adding that if i liked to pay a small fee i should go to what is called the pistole that is be in a cell by myself i accepted the offer gratefully and left these ruffians in the midst of their loud menaces for the future for said they we are sure to meet again when i could not get away from them the turnkey conducted me to a cell where i passed the rest of the night it is from here that i now write to you mademoiselle rigolette directly after my examination i shall be taken to another prison called la force where i expect to meet many of my companions in the station-house the turnkey interested by my grief and tears has promised me to forward this letter to you although such kindnesses are strictly forbidden i ask mademoiselle rigolette the last service of your friendship if indeed you do not blush now for such an intimacy in case you will kindly grant my request it is this with this letter you will receive a small key and a line for the porter of the house i live in boulevard st denis number eleven I inform him that you will act as if it were myself with respect to everything that belongs to me and that he is to attend to your instructions 
he will take you to my room and you will have the goodness to open my secretaire with the key i send you herewith in this you will find a large packet containing different papers which i beg of you to take care of for me one of them was intended for you as you will see by the address others have been written of you in happier days do not be angry i did not think they would ever come to your knowledge i beg you also to take the small sum of money which is in this drawer as well as a satin bag which contains a small orange silk handkerchief which you wore when we used to go out on sundays and which you gave me on the day i quitted the rue du temple i should wish that excepting a little linen which you will be so good as to send to me at la force you will sell the furniture and things i possess for whether acquitted or found guilty i must of necessity be obliged to quit paris where shall i go what are my resources god only knows madame bouvard the saleswoman of the temple who has already sold and bought for me many things will perhaps take all the furniture etc at once she is a very fair dealing woman and this would save you a great deal of trouble for i know how precious your time is i have paid my rent in advance and i have therefore only to ask you to give a small present to the porter excuse mademoiselle the trouble of these details but you are the only person in the world to whom i dare and can address myself i might perhaps have asked one of m ferrand's clerks to do this service for me as we were on friendly terms but i feared his curiosity as to certain papers several concern you as i have said and others relate to the sad events in my life ah believe me mademoiselle rigolette if you grant me this last favour this last proof of former regard it will be my only consolation under the great affliction in which i am plunged and in spite of all i hope you will not refuse me i also beg of you to give me permission to write to you sometimes it will be so consoling so comforting to me to be able to pour out my heavy sorrows into a kind heart alas i am alone in the world no one takes the slightest interest in me this isolation was before most painful to me think what it must be now and yet i am honest and have the consciousness of never having injured any one and of always having at the peril of my life testified my aversion for what is wicked and wrong as you will see by the papers which i pray of you to take care of and which you may read but when i say this who will believe me m ferrand is respected by all the world his reputation for probity is long established he has a just cause of accusation against me and he will crush me i resign myself at once to my fate now mademoiselle rigolette if you do believe me you will not i hope feel any contempt for me but pity me and you will perhaps carry your generosity so far as to come one day some sunday alas what recollections that word brings up some sunday to see me in the reception-room of my prison but no no i never could dare to see you in such a place yet you are so good so kind that if i am compelled to break off this letter and send it to you at once with the key and a line for the porter which i write in great haste the turnkey has come to tell me that i am going directly before the magistrate adieu adieu mademoiselle rigolette do not discard me for my hope is in you and in you only françois germain p s if you reply address your letter to me at the prison of la force end of chapter one part one read by celine major